The passage that we're looking at this morning is David's response to the story in back of it. The story is found in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. I didn't want to read over the entire story. I simply wanted you to hear his response and understand the frustration in his life that someone that he had trusted and could be trusted by others allowed evil to enter into his heart. And it's such a sad story, but it's the truth of how we can end up in the wrong place even though we start out in the right direction. Psalm 52 rests in a collection that speaks boldly and with great truth to us. The psalm just before that, Psalm 51, was written by David, and it was a psalm of confession and penitence after his sin with uh, Bathsheba and then subsequently killing her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And then in 52 through 55, we see these psalms speaking to our current day. They're songs of illumination, enlightenment, and, and insight into evil in sin, in a human sense. And they help us understand the current state of our country. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the morality of our culture today and how, as God always does, He sends us leaders that match us. And we've not repented as a nation We've not. And we must repent. And I want to look at this today in the next few weeks and think about evil, human evil, and how it touches our hearts and how it changes us. We today are going to examine David's expression of anger over the lies of Doeg and his murder of 85 priests. Not just sitting around somewhere, but but they literally were in their sacred robes leading the worship. And Doeg, with his own sword, slaughtered them at the command of a king who was so twisted. Saul was so twisted in what he was doing. His own soldiers and guards would not carry out that work. But Doeg, in a desire to please the king to get more power, went along and fell into a, such a sin that it changed who he would be for the rest of eternity. Doeg was a person who had earned the trust of the king. His, his words spoke power to everyone. He followed Saul implicitly, even into Saul's bitterness and anger towards his son-in-law, David. As Saul's chief herdsman, and, uh, which is a post of high distinction, meaning that all the wealth of Saul was trusted into the hands of Doeg. He was seen as a mighty man. And yet David mocks him in the beginning of the psalm by using that phrase. He was a man of wealth. He could influence so many people, yet he allowed himself to become a toy in the hands of the king. 
He certainly deceived Saul into thinking that Ahimelech, who was a high priest, was working with David in concert to overthrow Saul's leadership. And Ahimelech was a direct descendant, I believe the, the great-grandson of Eli, the high priest that took Samuel and raised him as his own child. You know, Samuel was a judge, a prophet, and a priest. And at that time, someone like Ahimelech was seen as that. And yet, in the midst of it, he died. He was the first to die of the 85 priests that were slaughtered. It is probable that David found rest and peace in writing the Psalms, but he also found a release from his frustration when he wrote a psalm about the vindication of God against an evil man. In writing the psalms and his feelings of guilt about his own life, he went on to, to express his frustration with what had, had gone on there. There was a, a, a holy unrest about what had happened. He had a struggle with the fact that he too was a sinner, and he didn't kill 85 priests, but he killed his own bodyguard, his personal protection, Uriah the Hittite, to get to his, his wife. David was not without sin, as we are. Yet David repented, and God continued to use him. I want to note three statements or truths in this psalm that we need to take note of in our own lives. Because we can begin in a very holy place serving God and make one or two bad choices and end up in the same place that Doeg the Edomite ended up in. I often say it, and it's not original with me. It actually came from a, a friend of mine, Vance Havner, the great Presbyterian evangelist of a former time, that all of us are two or three decisions away from destruction. We often see that in our lives if we're not careful. We can find ourselves in a place that we never desired to be and, and can even wonder how we ended up there. Yet the key to freedom from that is, is one simple thing, abiding with God and following Him in a very determined and deliberate manner. It's called sanctification. It means that day by day, as we set our sights and focus on lo the love of our Lord, we also look through our hearts and cleanse away any sin that would separate us from Him. That is so important for us to do, and no one can do it for us. No one can fulfill or take care of that. You know, it, it, it amazes me as I read God's Word over and over, that there are some simple truths that are very basic that we absolutely miss if we're not still with Him and listen to what He says to us through His Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit can speak to you in a way that no one else can. You can run away from a person that's verbally speaking to you. You can take a letter and tear it up that they write to you. You can just simply delete an instant message that someone sends you but when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you can't run away. 
You have to listen. So I want you to look at these three ideas, truths, or truths that are found here in the 52nd Psalm and think about these. The first is this. Power never remains with men, but it always rests in God. Never let the authority and the power that you hold in your life overthrow you. You see, pride is something that's very powerful in all people, young and old, rich and poor. And we have to be careful that we don't forget that that the power that we receive and the influence that we have is given to us by God, but it doesn't rest in us always. In the first verse, it refers to Doeg as a man of substance. Yet the substance of Doeg was reduced to something that was so disturbing. He had totally lost touch with the fact that God had called these people together, even King Saul. And yet suddenly he looked in the eyes of Saul as God. Don't fall into that situation wherever you are, whether it's with a family member, an employer, or a friend, that you ever look at them and believe that they are the end-all and the be-all in truth. Because the reality is we all have feet of clay. We're all sinful. We all have times in our life when we slide and we make mistakes and we sin. And sometimes compounding sin will cause us to lose our relationship with God and especially our perspective that God would have for us. You know, these opening lines sum up the message of this psalm. Certain men of substance boast, and they shouldn't boast, for the direction they're going is downhill. If in our world today we can see politicians as falling into this trap, their God has become the media, the national media, that praises certain wickedness and seems to push it forward. In the same way the media puts forth sin and, and, and all sorts of, of, of debauchery before our young people. And they display it as normal. Think about 30 years ago what you would watch on television or listen to on the radio, and then place it alongside what we experience today. I looked through Netflix the other day, and I actually counted how many programs, movies, and and, and series they posted on there. I counted in one section 846 movies series. And here's what's amazing. Would you want to guess out of the 846 how many of them either dealt with sin, evil, that which is unholy, and that which is bizarre? 801. Only 45 were what you would call normal. That is the average dosage of vile reality that our young people and and our adults are being fed on a daily basis. That's what they're going after. They want to pull the souls out of our young people. And it's no different than what happened 
when Saul became bitter. In fact, in that psalm, it mentions the song that was sung. It's mentioned several times in the Bible. As they would come back from the battle, the women had written a song and they'd sing it as the soldiers would march back into the city. And the song went something like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. We are told in one passage that when Saul heard that, it said he eyed David from that point forward. Now let's think about that logically. Was David singing that song? No. Did David write that song? No. Who was the leader of the army that won the battle? Saul. His son-in-law had become a mighty warrior. Who did it benefit? Saul. Yet through all that, bitterness and pride turned Saul into an angry, delusional man who lost his mind and ended up literally committing suicide. If you allow bitterness to eat into your heart, there will be nothing left when it finishes. And it's a frightening thing to happen. How, however badly you're treated or however foul someone speaks of you, it, it, it's not something that you need to take personally because it's not permanent. When David said, O mighty man, he was referring to the strength and the prowess that Doeg had on the battlefield. He was a mighty man. But even mighty people, mighty men and women, fall when they become proud. The second thing I want you to understand is that judgment comes not from men but from God. The final word will rest in God, not in men. This is a description of the consequences to himself resulting from his sinfulness. This is what Doeg brought upon himself because he chose to do what he thought was expedient at the moment to grow a special place in the heart of Saul for him. He wanted to be higher on that ladder. One person has put it this way, if David is a man after God's own heart, then truly we can say that Doeg, the Edomite, is a man after Saul's own heart. Yet it was a selfish desire. Doeg was important. He didn't need to do anything to increase that. Yet when he suggested that Ahimelech, the high priest, had come into collusion with David to destroy Saul. He knew that he was lighting a bomb that would destroy everyone around it when it exploded. He knew that Saul was looking for an evidence that he could put his hand on to prove that David had done this and then he would destroy David. And in the doing of that, Saul only destroyed himself. He tore himself apart. He started well, but he ended in a horrible place. You know, you can do that in your life. 
You can do that in a large way before the world, or you can do it in a small way just before your immediate family or, or your extended family or your circle of, of, of influence where you work. I've seen people allow bitterness and doubt and suspicion absolutely destroy their ability to, to know right from wrong. I like what David says in the psalm when he says, you're such a liar, you tell them that black is white. But here's the truth. He didn't know black from white. He didn't understand right from wrong. He thought that the end justified the means. A lot of people believe that, especially in Washington, D.C. They think they see where they want to be, and however they get there really doesn't matter. If they have to destroy lives, if they have to destroy truths, if they have to destroy anything that's holy, whatever it matters, they want to get to that point. And it's sad because the reality is this. The end doesn't justify the means the means of getting there determines the end. And when I say end, I, I mean judgment before God. You see, God observes all of us. He knows what we do. He doesn't judge us in this world. Absolutely not. Judgment comes after we leave this world. Now, if you suffer the consequences of your poor choices, don't blame it on God and call it judgment. Trust me, His judgment will be accurate many people forget that there is a God in heaven we can ignore him all we want we can pretend he's not there but he's there and the day of judgment will come America has turned a great distance away from what we believe Yet the truth is we can't point at any evil out there for doing this because it was literally the good people in America that decade after decade turned their children over to institutions of higher learning that were bereft of anything that involved God. We trusted them with the most valuable thing that we have. Our children. Our children don't belong to us. They belong to God. And yet, we, we just turn them over. And, and it started out in, in college, and now it's in high schools, all of them, and even elementary schools. I talked to many teachers, and I talked to a group of teachers the other day, and the thing that amazed me was that many good, godly teachers are retiring because they can't handle the garbage that they're asked to teach because they know it's not true. They know that it, it, it does not have a substance that, that remotely favors what they understand is truth. And they understand that much of what we're doing in, in education today is reorienting our children to a different value system. Suddenly there's no God in heaven or on earth. Earth is called Mother Earth. And we can destroy Mother Earth. Now, I want to remind you of this as a Christian. When you hear people talk about how we are destroying the earth, remember this. There's only one person that has ever destroyed the earth or ever can destroy the earth. That is God. 
He destroyed it once by water. He explained why he did it, and he was right. And he said, one day he'll destroy it again with fire. Yet when you want to put yourself in the place of God, and that's what secular humanism does today. That's the basis of education, secular humanism. They put man at the center of all things, not God, man. And they say that man can destroy the earth. Several years ago, a huge tanker broke and spilled a gigantic amount of, 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 of raw petroleum and processed uh, items from petroleum in the Gulf of Mexico. All people were panicking. They said, for a thousand years, we'll have a problem with this. For a thousand years, we'll be suffering from this. And on the basis of, of the politicians and the lawyer statements on that, billions of dollars were extracted from the company that, that had that uh, tanker and the processing systems. But strangely enough, without the media reporting it, guess what happened to the oil and, and petroleum that leaked from that? It dissipated into the salt water and was processed through the systems of, of the Gulf, and it was absorbed. Now, they didn't mention it because God did that. Man didn't do that. God did that. For so long, they've said that somehow that the, the uh, atmosphere, when we have hurricanes and, and cyclones and tornadoes, that that's influenced by what we do in the world and they said it's horrible and we need to stop all that yet when you talk to a meteorologist that has an understanding of God and half a brain and is not trying to speak politically expedient words will tell you this nothing can clean the atmosphere of the different regions of the planet any more effectively than a hurricane now, granted, we do foolish things and we build too close uh, to hurricane areas and we put ourselves at risk. But hurricanes and tornadoes and, and, and cyclones serve a purpose. And yet, we forget it's not about man or what man says, it's about God. Judgment comes not, not from men, but from God. And that's why we need to listen to God. We need to observe what he says. We need to be aware of what he teaches. Lastly, I want you to realize this. A conscience can change radically because of sin. A person can become someone they never intended to be, nor did they ever think they would become by their sin. By attacking Ahimelech and the priest, Doeg, was attacking God. He was not defending the king. He was attacking God. He knew that. He, he referred to them as God's priest. And he no doubt boasted afterwards about what he had done. In a desire to please the king, to get a step ahead... He put aside any sense of right and wrong before God. Realize this, that there are certain people who believe 
the story of the first person they hear that tells them evil and they take it to be true. My professor of counseling, when we were talking about, about marital counseling, told me in the whole class, he said, remember, there are three sides to every story. And somebody said, three? We thought there were two sides. He said, no, they're his side, her side, and then somewhere in between the truth. And he said, it may be far from both of them. We have to realize that we have a God who is truth. He will never flatter you. He will never mislead you. He will never send you in the wrong direction. He loves you. And his focus is not on everybody getting along. Not at all. His focus is on you becoming a reflection of his son. That's what God wants to do with you. And he will work in your life and work through anything that he can use that's kind or hurtful to conform you to the image of Christ. Do you realize that? A lady in my home church when I was growing up had a disease that turned her, literally turned her skin to like a rock. We watched her from being a woman that came to church in a wheelchair and could barely stand up to a woman who was laying in a bed frozen. Eventually the disease ate into her organs and her heart stopped one morning. Just stopped. But you know what was amazing? When, when we would talk to Gwen Nix, and she was every young person's friend because we would go see her. Even in the, the, when she was in a nursing home on the other side of Atlanta, we would go once a month to see her because we wanted to encourage her. And the reality is she always encouraged us. One of the older youth in our youth group asked her a question with tears in his eyes. And he said, Gwen, I love you like a mother. You've always been there for me. You've always prayed for me. He said, why is God doing this to you? Why, why is this happening? And she said with a smile, and I don't even know how she could have done this, but with a smile she said, he is doing this to the glory of God. After she died and we were at the funeral, one of the things that one of the ministers who stood up there was not even a Baptist minister, but a very wise man said this. He said, we will never chart the territory of how her life touched so many people. But I will tell you this. He said, the gathering in this room, and the room was about the size of this room. People were standing on the sides, standing in the aisles. They were standing even on the platform. There were so many people. He said, the testimony in this room lets me know that that dear lady changed her part of the world for Jesus Christ. Most of us would spend the rest of our lives complaining about where God had placed us. But a conscience can, can change radically if you allow sin to lead it. But if you allow God to lead you, whatever comes your way, you will deal with it through the Holy Spirit of God. You see, Doeg became a gossip. 
a slanderer, a liar. He didn't know what righteousness was in the end. He did exactly the opposite of what he started out doing. The mischief of this mighty man, it says, he is a man whose tongue devises many types of wickedness, cuts men and their reputations to shred like a sharp razor, and works deceitfully. You know, here, here's what's so amazing about this. Evil people like this, they reckon that to be successful in life, goodness and truth has to be put aside. You have to forfeit that. Because they believe it's a hindrance. And it can be. When you're trying to get from point A to B efficiently in a human manner with no thought of right or wrong, it's easy to put that aside. And here's what's amazing when you do that. And as men mature in sin, I mean grow in that direction, they become more and more incapable of discerning right from wrong. As it says in 1 Timothy, their conscience is seared with a hot iron, meaning they have no feeling whatsoever. This is where many people end up. I, I read this the other day, Famous American Lies. See if you can identify with some of these that you've heard. The check is in the mail. You heard that? Your money will cheerfully be refunded. I like this one, one size fits all. I know that's not true. Some of the ones we say, I'll start my diet tomorrow after I eat this dessert. Your luggage really isn't lost. It's only misplaced. Yeah, I've got, I've got three pieces of luggage that I haven't found in 31 years. Remember this one? This will hurt me more than it will hurt you. I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, Daddy, don't even pretend that I believe that. The person that walks up and says, I only need five minutes of your time. And, and, and our favorite, it's, it's not the money. It's the purpose of the thing, the principle. No, it, it's the money. Once the devil was walking down the road with some of his minions... And they saw a man ahead of them walking. And there was something shiny in the dirt. And he reached down and he picked it up. One of the demons says, Satan, what does he have there? And he said, he's got a piece of truth. And they said, do you want us to go and take it away from him? We can go and snatch it from him right now. And he said, no, it doesn't bother me at all. He said, I'll see to it that he makes a religion of a piece of the truth and he'll never find the whole truth. Be careful that you don't fall into that trap. Be a person who is a truth seeker in all things, and God will use you as a child that changes his world forever. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that through this ancient story of such an obscure people, we can learn truth in a powerful way. God, I pray that our hearts would, would be focused on that because all of us can fall into this trap. All of us can get into a situation where we forget who we are and whose we are. So therefore, I ask right now that you speak to someone that's struggling. 
They want to be a truth seeker. They want to change. They want to, they want to become more like your son. But in order to do that, we must know your son. We must trust your son. And we must follow him. Father, speak to someone this morning that they desire to be more than they are, much more. And give them that desire to say yes. Father, speak to us now that we would be found faithful in all things. For it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.